After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Hello again, dear listeners. Welcome back to the greenhouse. I'm joined again by recurring contributor and DC correspondent, Joshua. How's it going, everybody? Glad to I be back. I hit you with the full first name. God damn it. Wow. It happens. Such a solemn mood. I had to be. <laughs> well, this is another current events episode. Um, and it's, it's a recurrence events. You know what I mean? This is, this is probably the culmination of everything we've been talking about. Yeah, the, the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp done. trial, you know, it's it's really rough. Dog, I cannot imagine <laughs> caring either side of the fucking case, dog. How are you a Johnny Depp fan in 2022? What 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 project is prompting this loyalty, man? Yeah, it's it's a little Sweeney wild. Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's I didn't uh... even know who Amber Heard was until this this trial i'm gonna be honest i know she yeah, was an aquaman I mean, but i i'm i guess i'm a little deeper and i'm like that hollywood culture you know somewhat regrettably but to be fair i've also ignored this trial and its existence almost entirely i see people post memes and it's sufficient enough it doesn't bring me any joy or anything so i ignore it i'm just uh, again the amount of energy and um intrigue that celebrity drama has on on the culture is is always you know something to be reckoned with sure is um but let's let's talk about a place where um the energy has literally been sucked out of the room um we're just we're just going to get into it and you know, again you know I'm just going to give my five minutes of mandatory male TM, feminism TM. Um, <laughs> yes, we are two cis guys. We are about to be getting into the recent uh, nonsense with the Supreme Court and the draft that was leaked surrounding a plan to overturn Roe v. Wade and uh, PP versus Casey. Um we're not going to really get into how this affects people because we're not directly affected, but I'm not being cute when I say that, you know, this is something that's going to affect everyone. It really will. And the people who are being directly affected by this have been talking about how this will affect them and are currently speaking up right now. So I implore anyone who hasn't found out to, you know, hear from them directly. Yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of wanted to add on to that real quick that I'm learning a lot about how the, mm-hmm. the level to which this will affect people. You know, we think about, you know, Roe v. Wade and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, largely through the lens of uh, abortion access and the right to seek an abortion. But there's a lot that is encompassed by that and mm-hmm. beyond just the, you know, I, I hate to call it in this case a legal slippery slope, but the idea that this can build on to encompass other rights that have been you know granted through um the supreme court's purview and things like that but it 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 affects a lot of things you know any miscarriage becomes suspect uh various access to birth control are you know potentially under threat there's a lot that is encompassed here and you know i've i've seen all kinds of testimonials ever since this decision was leaked and 
it's we're not heading into a remotely pleasant place. Not not in the least. And it the one thing that's getting me about this is, you know, a lot of people like to bring up the subject of being advocates for rights and freedoms, but I think this is the most telltale case of um, the American conservative movement's mentality around freedom, which is uh, my rights begin where yours end. Yeah. So before we, you know, begin um, unpacking everything, let's probably start with uh, the triggering event. So we've all, not really not too long ago, we were talking about um, the escalation of the culture war in an outbreak of anti-trans, anti-LGBT legislation. And I think, what was it, like two weeks ago, I want to say at this point, um, Politico publishes a, a leaked draft uh, written by one Samuel Alito um, it's 80 pages. I can't really summarize the, you know, the full text, um, but something to the effect basically of, you know, his, um, I mean, it's like, it's a total shit mine. Like every, oh every time God. you're like, wow, like this is awful. You just, you know, go down a few more lines and you just, it's the layers and layers of repugnancy. Right. And it, was it, was it just him or was it also him and Coney Barrett? I'm trying to remember, recall. Um, there might've been some footnotes by Comey Barrett. I can't remember if um if it was there or if it was some brief about like I mean her seemingly her contribution is the uh infamous uh domestic supply of infants which yeah yeah those has, the... yeah, obviously racial overtones and also just you know kind of if you're up for adoption and you're not infinite infant go fuck yourself no one cares um <laughs> I need to be able to fully impress upon you all my wishes and desires. And if there's any, you know, hints that you might've had other influences in your life, that's a bad thing. Yeah. And that was only the most second egregious part of that letter. Like that, I think I missed on like the first examination that came up later. Yeah. It came out way later uh, that people were well, like, we okay, were just... this is really messed up. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, in it pretty much, um, insists that, well, from Samuel Alito's perspective, it insists that, uh, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey were wrong in their conception, and the court is basically has all but formally uh, planned to repeal the legal framework that upholds abortion rights in America. Well, he straight up says they must be overturned in the draft, which is extraordinary language. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I've seen a, a decent number of court appearance. Um, court drafts over the years or the mm -hmm. actual final opinions and they usually don't go at it like that you know there's um you know there was a little debate over um i think it was like koromatsu which was sort of what uh, legalized the internment of japanese uh, citizens during world war ii and i think trump v hawaii like sort of overturned it but like roberts uses very like kind of like he doesn't formally do it he's just like oh well it's been overturned by history like <laughs> I'm not doing it. It's already been done. But like the dissent compares the decision to Korematsu. So right. you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, it, it's just this complete mess. And like, it just like the bold terminology here that like, we must overturn this, right? Like 
you know, the only reason that something like Dred Scott's overturned is a constitutional amendment. There's no one mm-hmm. who's ever said like, oh, we must overturn this. It's just like, yeah, like it's legally defunct because, you know, we've outlawed slavery, kind of. Just just another dark observation I'm recalling because we were talking about Ketanji Brown Jackson's um, confirmation hearing in the last last time we, we were talking. And we were talking about you know, the Bork hearings being a continual stalking horse for the right wing when it comes to, you know, this great slight that's happened to them. In, in some ways, you can say Bork has been vindicated. And more broadly speaking, you know, something like this happening is, I mean, you, you don't want to pat them on the back and say, good job, guys. It's more of like a recognition of, yeah, the... uh pro-life movement as they call themselves or the anti-abortion movement more broadly you know as as one you know in a sense and it's not it's not a pretty truth to admit it is not even something you want to think about and 100 yeah and there's just a lot of um I don't know. I mean, it's like the more you think about it, the more you dig deeper. It's like it's very much like there's a thousand different turning points where you realize how this was secured. Right. right? And I, there's plenty of blame to be thrown around. Um, of course, a certain demographic in the Democratic Party only wants to blame Bernie Sanders for it, um, which is <laughs> ridiculous, Ow. but whatever. I mean, you can blame. I mean, it's like, you know, there's issues of the Hillary Clinton campaign that sort of led to this. There's some share of blame there. There's, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg not retiring in like mm-hmm. 13 um, at the latest. That was probably her best window. Um, but, you know, really, it's just like this culmination of like a failure and strategy. And and to be fair, you know, as much as people like, oh, like the conservative movement has really like worked hard to do this. In some ways, they kind of have botched it in a lot of ways, too. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Reagan definitely appointed people who didn't necessarily help lead to this right you know you didn't Sandra have Day o'connor yeah uh it was kennedy hw i can't remember um, might have been hw i don't remember yeah but e- either way it's you know those are um you know they, they were clear missteps that like this clearly was never a super big priority for them and and to some extent you're seeing uh, you know, like sort of the fruits of their labors, but they were they liked using abortion as like this carrot for their base. And now it's gone seemingly because, you know, well, here's your carrot. Finally, like, you know, there's nothing left to offer you. And I know that has a lot of different electoral implications that people might think. But, you know, we've as much as we've talked about the culture war, this particular aspect of the culture war on women's rights and whatnot, this is going to be the dominating political issue forever now Mm -hmm. you could argue it was in some ways but now every state election is going to be run based on abortion rights i can practically guarantee it i will be shocked if you do not see a single if there's a single state that where there's like you know some statewide election where this doesn't come up i will be absolutely shocked Mm -hmm. and this this isn't you know a question asking but now it's worth asking in context now is earlier jd vance that ghoul um (laughs) uh, at a campaign rally was talking about how for him and his strain of the right uh culture war is class war yeah 
and you know for for at least my i mean broadly the 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 new left formation that exists now is trying to you know argue for a certain class-based policy proposals or on, a, on on that kind of rhetoric and what i'm seeing with this now in some sense because you you never want to or at least i i never like you know playing on a table set for me by a right winger i never like to engage with their terms i never like to engage with sure. your arguments it's it's like it gets you locked in that debate bro culture and i i find it kind of counterproductive but now with with something like this um it kind of begs the question like has jd vance also in a way set the terms even though he, not him directly but that kind of thinking of yeah yeah, yeah. i mean like the the archetype that he fits in yeah have the they archetype, kind of done that yeah. yeah i don't know i mean i i do really wonder you know for the uh i mean obviously we've kind of questioned the sincerity of like the jimmy doors of the world before but mm -hmm. I kind of wonder if, you know, those people who have this idea that like, oh, well, you know, you, you can focus on just the economics and, and you know, compromise on these issues with the right wing. Are we really like, to what extent can you really do that? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I think it's increasingly looking, if not impossible, very difficult. I, I, I mean, I agree with that because like, that's a that's a topic that comes up periodically of like you know what is to be done with this glenn greenwald uh jimmy Dore type shit in one sense then you got the post left types on twitter and what you know they're all idiots we but you and i agree on that more broadly in that you know you're basically saying since we couldn't uh because at least some of these people are like Bernie people who didn't get what the results they wanted in 2016 and 2020 and are now deluding themselves into thinking, well, what if we did it with the Republicans instead of the Democrats and we played to their cultural language? Like, will we get the class-based results we want? But Speaking it's, it's, of which, yeah, go uh, ahead, did go you ahead. actually see there was a uh, policy memo? I can't remember what wing of the Republican Party came out, but they were talking about how, like, you know, in a post-real world, let's try to actually, you know, give something to families and stuff like that. You know, they're like, let's make the Biden tax credit uh, to, uh, you know, mothers, like, permanent and things like that and, like, all this stuff. And it's just, like, it's laughable because, like... Is this, like, the Marco Rubio and um, Mitt Romney tax credit like style or is this something else um it would like, get the mitt romney tax yeah like it's it's basically that tax but, okay like, yeah, it's permanent um but it's it's just wild to me because like and you're seeing a lot of this with like the legal arguments you know if you're right-wing intellectual cruiserweights like ben shapiro who are you know saying like oh well you know of course this is this is the line that we'll stop at though we also hate alberfell and like every other thing that the supreme court's done that's remotely left wing, but we'll, we'll, we totally won't overrule those where like, even if you take them sincerely at their word that they personally have no intention of that. It's very clear that the movement has taken a life of its own and doesn't give a shit what they think and is going to be willing to just push the various extremes that they can. And mm -hmm. this is really the only the beginning, I think. Yeah. Because at some level, like I, you sent me this to me in the DM earlier of like, 
Nancy, uh, Nancy Pelosi saying, um, this is not your, uh, this is not the Republican Party. No, that was Chuck Schumer saying that. But then Pelosi was talking about, like, I want the Republican Party to exist. And they're hearkening back to this very fictitious, but maybe you could argue that, like, there was a Republican Party that used culture as a rhetorical trick, but was more interested in, like, a, a neoliberal economic program. They weren't really interested in solidly delivering the culture war as a material benefit to their base but in some ways i think what she was saying was even more absurd though oh even more absurd like i was i, I was more talking about chuck schumer but i'm conflating sure. the two i'm willfully conflating the two um with 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 pelosi we have to unpack that even further because you know there's there's the dementia aspect and then there's also like the civic institution civic religion aspect of it where the Republican Party is not seen as a, you know, a mathematical enemy, not as opposed to like, a, or sorry, why am I saying mathematical? Ontological enemy, or even as a electoral enemy where fuck them, fuck what they want. If you want power, you have to, you know, wash them out. You kind of see them as this necessary oppositional force to maintain some kind of ethical government. But we're seeing in practice that doesn't matter and to tie, tie all these points together i promise that these were going to go somewhere dear listener i'm not just rambling uh-huh. um you know with these post-left guys what i'm kind of seeing this is is we don't actually have a space for these culture war issues to get resolved because they are contradictions in a sense they are opposing forces in a sense and at least in american history in the past this is not my observation but you could at least argue that theoretically anytime there was social conflict in the eastern cities you could push west and settle out and do your own thing that's kind of what they did with the mormons that's kind of what they did with all the different you know um uh, different Protestant sects that like kind of moved over and in, into the Midwest and things like that. Um, but I think, you know, it's particularly um, with the end of history framework we're operating in now, there is no West to go settle. Maybe, maybe, you know, join the space force, join the space force, or maybe, you know, you kick out some Palestinians and buy a house in Israel, who knows, you know, but, <laughs> but I like, but there is, there is no like territory, there's no like um, frontier to like conquer and plant your flag and like be left alone to your own devices. We're now all stuck with each other in real life. And even if you don't interact with people you don't like, or you disagree with, Everyone willfully walks on, walks into the internet and then is now forced to interact with these people and engage in all these stupid fights, which has had a role in kind of intensifying the culture war, whether or not, you know, it's whether or not people should take the internet seriously. I don't think people should. People have turned it into something to take seriously, and it has played a role in intensifying the culture war, especially on the right, I'd say. Well, I think, too, like that, like, ultimately, this is an expression, too, that the culture war goes, you know, I I think oftentimes we focus more on like the class dynamics and things like that. But I think, frankly, it's like, you know, the the cultural identities people have with their ideologies uh, and various groups that they're associated with, be they, you know, uh, willful participation or 
um, you know, racial or ethnic groups, I think that those are so, like increasingly mattering more in this country and maybe mm-hmm. even across the world than class identif- identifications. Um, I think, you know, like the <laughs> amount of people who cheer for, you know, billionaire overlords um, taking over their, you know, various uh, web spaces and aspects of their personal life. I, I think that there's a sort of this, you know, surrender to the idea that there's never really going to be um, this cultural revolution from a class aspect. So I think people mm-hmm. just settled into their cultural camps and this is, you know, one, just one of many consequences of it. Yeah, I agree. And that's why like, evident, like, you know, at the end of the day, the, Walled Jamie Dore approach to this shit of oh just appeal to the right because you'll get your class victories. One, you know, I, I I can't agree with it morally. You know, you can't throw people under the bus if there's a camp of people you have to agree agree with who want them dead. Also, sorry for my my slowness. I'm dying of allergies right now. There's that aspect to it. Then there's also just even if you like team up with them on this one economic issue, you have not resolved the social aspect. Some of this shit has to be resolved in a social context. And either you acquiesce with them or have to address the con the, the contradiction somehow. Compromise is one way. That's how Americans, like, you know, have traditionally been taught to deal with this stuff is through compromise. But conflict is another way that happens, unfortunately. Not necessarily yeah, I, violent conflict. You know, well, I, mean, I, but, I yeah. think we might get into a little bit of discussion about that as this <laughs> conversation develops. But uh, one of the things I kind of want to point out, too, is, like, it, it's crazy to me where, like, so much of this feels like it's just kind of owning the libs and not really. Oh, yeah we've achieved our like long-term stated objective of, you know, outlawing abortion at least in half the nation retroactively uh, through overturning this. And like for all the rhetoric that I've heard from pro-life people over the years, I've not seen one of them celebrate this as like, finally, you know, babies will stop being killed or whatever, you know, that they like to tout. It's all focused on, well, actually, this is a major defeat because uh, this was leaked, and that's an, that's the true insurrection in this country. Forget January 6th, the fact that this <laughs> court decision, and in all likelihood, you know, not to get too conspiratorial here, but like, in all likelihood, this decision was most likely leaked by a conservative justice, one of their staff, or maybe one of theirs' wife. I won't say who, but you might be able to get <laughs> And, like, because there's been a lot of articles that have turned up from, like, conservative legal journals Mm -hmm. where they just, like, have, like, in-depth notes about, like, the inner process of this. And, like, it was leaked largely to secure, I don't know if Kavanaugh is for sure the wavy vote, but whoever the wavy vote is that was going to go to Roberts, who, Mm -hmm. in all honesty, was probably just going to give, like, a soft overturn of Roe, which would be, like, I think his objective, uh, according to one of them, was basically just uphold the texas law but still say that like roe and casey are on the books which Mm. would they really be at that point i would say no 
but yeah, I mean, this very like you know the fact that you know this action on their side is sort of obscured is like this is the the greatest over injustice in this country that you know people don't take the court seriously because of the league. It's like I think people don't take the court seriously because of the decision more so than the league. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and like there's there's definitely a disconnect between the civil religious culture of elites especially like these days compared to even loyal democratic followers like who are you know average working people not necessarily all of them but i mean well let me rephrase that even among the average democrat there is a lot of disappointment with that kind of culture because i think more and more people are seeing this well we voted and nothing is happening even even John Oliver is saying that. Well, you know, and and here's the thing too is like you know the continuous calls for voting. I mean, there's like certain logical arguments with it, right? I mean, like this year, right? Like, I mean, obviously the governor race matters, but it's like okay, you know, we have two Democratic senators here in uh, the state. I don't, yeah, you know, not to dox ourselves, uh, but we have two Democratic senators here, neither of which are up for re-election, so we can't vote for them. Um, so, you know, what are we doing that's going to affect anything at the federal level? Nothing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because you're, you know, it's just, you know, the way the country's broken up, you only have your vote only counts so much. But also, like, you know, for something like this, you're essentially like, okay, well, if we just keep voting and somehow winning the presidential elections for the next, like, you know, 20 years, eventually, you know, Alito and Thomas will have to retire at some point. Um, so then we can finally change the balance of the court. But like, that's such a long game with people mm-hmm. actually suffering in the meantime. And there's just not a clear remedy for that. And, you know, it's sort of a feature of these lifetime appointments that, well, you know, there's only a few ways those can end. Right. And, you know, not that's not necessarily a call to action, but... Not actionable, not a threat, not parody satire in the game. Right. You know, it's satire. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, like there's only if you're really upset about that, there's only so much you can do legally, which is pretty much nothing legally. But well, well, and and that's that's exactly like the point. Again, dear listener, we we hear you for your calls to get more organized episodes. This is a free show. I'm sorry. You're going to get us as we are. And Trust me, this is this is all going somewhere, and it actually has. You know what I mean? But because because like we usually do the recap of the issue, um, but we're actually kind of walking. Wait, we're we're walking and chewing gum. We, oh no, we are walking and chewing gum with this episode. We have to, um, <laughs> which is um, with how the immediate response to this issue has been, you know, you have basically on the day of this happening, Biden saying, uh, we support Ukraine at a, at a weapons depot. You know what I mean? You have uh, the court, uh, you know, the harpies who hang around the court basically saying, um, well, it's a shame that this got leaked. When you have um, the Senate unanimously voting to uh protect the property of you know the uh, of of the of the justices and their families from mind you pretty mild demonstrations 
Yeah. I think oh, did you the see immediate... also uh, Susan yeah. Collins called the police because someone like wrote in chalk protect women's rights on her sidewalk. <laughs> she see this is this is exactly what we're getting at is like the immediate enforcement of the status quo and protecting it while being told civic participation is critical and all the lawful forms of doing it are to be protected and up, upheld in our country. You know what I mean? We, we keep we keep getting told vote, but then you have a democratic regime that, I mean, I mean, literally Biden's response is it's up to the voters to elect politicians who will codify it into law. Again, washing himself of this. So yeah, I mean, to some and like it's like to some extent, like you know that's true. But again, it's sort of like you know they've had opportunities to cut. Well, in theory, they've had opportunities. Yes, to yes, this, yes, right. Like I, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say that you know the filibuster-proof majority that Obama enjoyed, you had, you know, that part of that's made up of, like, you know, the Joe Liebermans of the world who don't support, you know. But but, but on that but on that note, though, you know, you did have the um, Obama plan to codify Roe into law. Right, that's And then he about. immediately walking himself, you know, walking himself off. Of, of course, Lieberman comes up as the classic excuse, but he could have tried to executive order his way into it. I know, Maybe. I know that's that's <laughs> tricky. I know that's problematic. Like that's, well, that might be a little, little harder. Uh, that is, it is hard. But I mean, I, again, it's like you also even, have some people kind of like who maybe they do support it, like codifying it, but they kind of have that like overthinking it legal mind of like, well, you can't like you know codify a right into law because it's it's a natural right. You shouldn't, you know, like there's an argument to be had there, but it's very semantical and like doesn't do anything actionable in case like something like this happens which right. did happen oh my gosh you know this is this is funny because now i'm thinking of like andrew jackson's famous line of like <laughs> well let, let him enforce it when the chief justice you know had had an issue with his policy towards uh native americans so well except this would <laughs> It's like the opposite. Now it's the reverse. Now it's the reverse. Like <laughs> now they're saying, like, ah, eh, we don't want to enforce it. We don't want to enforce it. Exactly. And that's it's there, there's so much to unpack here because um whatever side of civic religion someone falls on, as well as whatever side of the pro-choice uh anti-abortion um line you fall on, that's really what colors how people are reacting to this in some way. And then if you are definitely an own the libs kind of right winger, you are very clearly loving all of this while also uh, doxing random um, court clerks because you think you found the guy who leaked it. Um, so, yeah, before, I mean, before we even recap the timeline, let's I mean, let's get into this idea of like, what what is it exactly that the Supreme Court does versus what people think they do? Because you you know we have this impression that the Supreme Court is like the nine fucking wizards who rule the realm or something like that, but when you really like look at the process of judicial review, and I'm not saying that it hasn't been used to like good ends before, but what I am saying is like, you know, you're using this very threadbare constitution drawn up by syphilitic slave owners and merchants back in the day uh, to try to like rule on issues well after their time 
And that's that's the first issue here is that, you know, we have a culture of never amending the fucking Constitution until it's too late. Then, you know, you have the, 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 the using this process to try to do something, something with it. Now, of course, you know, in upholding things like the Civil Rights Act, that's important. But then let's talk about maybe Citizens United, for example, and then McCutcheon versus FEC. You literally have Scalia saying, well, spending money is speech. Why? Because I said so. And Alito wrote uh, Citizens United, too, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. All the, all the right wing guys on the court definitely like, you know, they, they, they helped it pass through with a slam dunk. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, part of it is like, you know, it's just for whatever reason, like the legitimacy or like, quote unquote, I mean, like there's, there's, uh, there's arguments about the legitimacy of the court, but like, obviously there's sort of, you know, it has the most issues of all three branches, right? Because it's not elected. It's not responsive to the public. And, you know, there's, in theory, certain advantages to that because they can do things that aren't always the most popular. Mm-hmm. Um, but that only really, like, you know, usually when we think of that, like, we think of, you know, like, oh, well, like, you know, Brown v. Board, um, which was not well received at the time by right wingers, mm-hmm. contrary to what, you know, Clarence Thomas and Alito want to suggest. But, um, you know, there are those like examples of like them sort of, you know, like they're doing the right thing, even though it's not the most popular. But like now mm-hmm. it's just, that's not like ever going to happen. Like this is not the right thing and nor is it popular. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the things that, you know, it's like, I think there's just this idea that, yeah, like there are these nine wizards and they're sort of, there's that arcane unknowable nature to them. Right. That's I think seen as sort of key to that. Whereas you can't necessarily know that like, Oh, they're basically just, you know, the same ideologues we elect to office. They just, you know, wear black robes. Mm -hmm. Um, And, it kind of occurred to me, and this is this is going to add up to a series of ironies. Go ahead. Um, a lot of the people, uh, a lot of what we know about the inner workings of the modern court come mm-hmm. from the collection of papers from Justice Harry Blackman, mm-hmm. uh, who left the court in the mid-90s, succeeded by Stephen Breyer, who just retired. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Blackman was also the person who wrote Roe v. Wade. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we've got all the uh, right. all the domino pieces are lying up. But uh, anyway, so he has the, the, it was very controversial at the time when his papers came out because you know he had like his memos, stuff that he said to other justices. So this was this inside look, and it's dated from the mid nineties. And this is how much this is how we know like how the inner workings of the court generally work. We infer from this stuff that's you know thirty years out of date now, right? Uh, or more because obviously he was on the court longer than the mid nineties, but mm-hmm. um, which I mean, to me is just like kind of crazy that like, it's like, that's how like, you know, shadow organization this is. So like, that's why it's sort of a big deal when something like this happens. And, you know, again, to sort of like kind of put the nail in the coffin that it was probably a li- that it might've been a liberal who did this. Why wouldn't they have just leaked the, the draft in February, which was when it was dated and passed around. Mm-hmm. Though I also have another like slight conspiracy that, it might have been the reason Breyer decided to retire. That's that's highly likely. That's highly the timeline likely. lines up really well. And like maybe this was like him, like, oh holy shit, there's there's no save in this. Like, like I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, like I care all about like the legitimacy of this institution, but like it's gonna be gone in a month. Like handing my resignation to Biden. I mean, oh my god. I need I need a moment to process that. Oh my god.
have I gone too deep into like the no no you're not you're not going one. too deep I'm just like I just came out the gate so fucking mad that like I I derailed my own podcast which is fine I who gives a shit but it's like the actual like time the way that because now this gives me a good way to recap this almost in in context now because as soon as the leak comes out. Yes, there's the initial round of like, uh, you know, the the real like pro-life triumphalists come out to own the libs. You have the immediate um, shock and surprise that is that most of it is justified. You had some like, you know, deranged liberal posts like immediately go to like, oh, Bernie did this. Uh, Lots uh, of fundraising emails. Chapo Trap House did it. Sure. Actually, you know what? I hold them 100% accountable. This is, <laughs> um, <laughs> you have, um, I mean, who who else did they blame this on? They, they found a way to blame this on Rachel Maddow. What was the angle there? I don't fucking know. I don't fucking uh, again. These are this is just deranged people posting. We don't have to. We don't have to really it's analyze fair. why they do it. But and maybe like that was just you know all of us taking the piss instead of like you know dealing with the seriousness of the situation. Is you know it's always fun to look at the deranged person's reaction than like understand how deep the, the shit is you're in. Um, and then immediately like once the dust settles, you have. Joe Biden's response, which is, I'm not fucking doing anything. You have. I'd uh, like to. Uh, oh, go on, go on. Add on to that. The Democratic Party's response was, let's do nothing. Or like the leadership structure, at least. I mean, obviously, you know, emails went out, you know, give us money uh, to stop this or, you know, whatever. Oh, I immediately got that text with Nancy going. Pelosi's picture on it. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, Biden, I think, is definitely and not just on this issue in general. I think there's a lot of stuff that he hasn't really demonstrated like leadership on. Um, This isn't really about him. This is about, you know, I think more structural issues of the party. um, Clyburn was scheduled to go to uh, crap. What's what's the what's the representative's name? The pro-life Democrat who's running for office in a. Democrat plus five district. Henry Kular, is that his name? That sounds right. Something like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he goes to stump for him because it was already scheduled, right? Which uh-huh. you'd think like maybe like you announce like, hey, yeah, this is bad optics. We're not going to do this. Sorry, buddy. Uh, you're on mm-hmm. your own. But, you know, some sort of says, well, you know, well, we have to be this broad umbrella of a party. We can't just, you know, throw people under the bus because we disagree with them. And I remember that a lot of these people who are now blaming Bernie for this, how much they complained when he campaigned for a pro-life or anti-abortion Democrat in 17. And I'm not going to defend that choice from him, Mm -hmm. but I will at least point out that the context is very different between an independent senator doing that and Roe v. Wade still being, you know, the law of the land and the Democrat majority whip and also Pelosi still endorses this candidate endorsing and supporting a candidate who is openly, you know, against Roe v. Wade immediately after it has been announced that it will be overturned. Mm -hmm. 
And this is, you know, like the same wing of the party that insists that messaging is so important. And, you know, to kind of go back to what we talked about, you know, with Pelosi's, you know, sort of uh, dementia-ridden speech earlier, um, when she's talking about, like, you know, oh, there used to be, like, pro-choice Republicans and whatnot, she's talking about, like, a handful of people, like, 30 mm-hmm. years ago. I don't know what, like, she's, like, she's acting like, oh, the, you know, the party used to be, like, you know, for these things. It's like, no, that was never the partisan position. Reagan ran against it. I mean, yeah, I said he, you know, clearly didn't do enough to, like, end it if that was really his objective. But, again, there's that cynical, like, let's, you know, perform politics on both sides of the party. It's just that on the Republican side, the wackos who actually want to, you know, act out these, uh, Perverse fantasies have actually kind of won out and are doing that. There's there's also this aspect too, like I'm not sure how how much this plays into it, but there is this analysis of Reagan's leadership of the Republican Party where he kind of kept the cultural conservatives at bay. And his real, you know, goal was the kind of anti-communism and neoliberal mm-hmm. push. The cultural stuff was more of like a carrot to him to just keep them loyal and at least like to his credit he rhetorically he kept up with them but you can argue that you know they were at least able to manage that constituency under that kind of leadership and then i would say the forces leading to trump in some respect could also be you know chalked up to that cultural conservative constituency you know really craving blood at this point yeah, I think that's kind of what it comes down to, too. And I think that, like, there was sort of, like, in some ways, like, you know, I, I just thought about this as you were, like, describing how Reagan was in that. He was, in, in a lot of ways, sort of, like, the third-way version of, like, for the Republican Party. I mean, obviously, third-way Democrats came later, but mm-hmm. where it's, you know, like, like, that's why, like, you know, the anti-communism went out. That had a broader appeal than just, you know, yeah, crazy Republicans that, you know, applied to all crazy Americans. Um <laughs> at the time so like you had you know there there was like those things that i think were more agreeable and that's why he had you know more solid coalitions than what they see now where they are pretty firmly a minoritarian party and not Mm -hmm. you know representing this silent majority or anything like that but you know they're doing whatever desperate attempts they can to maintain power through different means with very little pushback and and again, like I said, you know, the parties, the Democratic Party's response to here is very lackluster. I mean, yeah, like there's only there's not really much they can do in this situation. I fully respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least attempting to codify Roe is better than doing nothing, mm-hmm. um, even if it's destined to fail. At least, you know, it, it at least shows a fighting attempt, which I think, you know, they need to remind voters that they actually have a pulse. The only person I've really seen like express any particularly like you know indignant outrage is like elizabeth warren and there needs to be more of that period i guess gavin newsom did as well which was wild but yeah like they just need to like act like yeah they're living people who are also upset about this decision not just like oh yeah this sucks which is um this is also this ties this this point together as well is one of the main criticisms levied against the democratic party establishment and it's hold over the progressive movements you know different constituencies is this kind of idea of you know 
they don't really deliver anything concretely, but they have a so so then what are you gonna fucking do? Vote for the Republicans? If you want to keep Roe v. Wade on the books, you gotta vote for us. And that is a you know, uh, I've I've heard this from Democrats myself, and it's it's been, you know, you see it on social media, you hear it. To be fair, it's a more persuasive argument now than it was before. (laughs) I'm not, I mean, that's well, just in the sense that, like, you know, you are actually losing something now, whereas before it was right this fantasy that you would lose it. That's that's true, that's true. Um, but you know, it is that is it is that classic line of like, well, if you want to keep this on the books, you know, you got to vote Democrat every November you know that was the same logic uh on the on the climate side you know it's like well at least you can count on joe biden to do something i've seen that fail you know and with with this i mean we're seeing like the tug of war devolve as like the democrats have lost the rope out of their hands at this point and you know this this one uh you know stick they have to beat their base with could very well slip out of their hands if they if they don't plan their next moves carefully. And I, I've kind of said this, you know, ad nauseum at this point. I think it still bears repeating is that, you know, it was up to the Democratic Party to try to codify this as soon as possible or at some point. And I think that... Um, they are so frightened of the kind of pro-life rhetoric that will be levied against them. The whole um, Democrats are baby killers shit. You know what I mean? Well, and a lot of that comes from the way that they've chosen to engage with this debate, right? Exactly. They've chosen to make it, you know, like, oh, well, you know, abortion's still an ugly thing. We don't want it to happen, but, you know, it's your body, your choice. Like, it's always this very hard to support thing and some of it's because they're they're older they're religiously conservative whatever Mm -hmm. but like that line has kept you know i think that movement you know where it it, were like the idea that you can compromise on this issue now i think is pretty much dead yeah yeah. Um, you know, I know everyone like says like you know points out you know JD Vance is like radical for saying that you know, and I mean he is, but you know for like saying that like he his daughter should just you know if they're raped they should just sit back and enjoy it and you know give birth to the kid, um, you know yeah that's really awful but like in theory you know if if you actually believe that you know principally that like this is a sacred that this is a life and it's sacred for you know at least until it's born. Uh, then, you know, screw it. But, uh, you know, if you believe that, then, like, why should there be, like, you know, oh, well, you know, in the first trimester, like, whatever type of compromise. Like, it's been clear these people have those views for a long time, and there's just been a very slow, if, like, any acknowledgement from their opposition that, like, you can't really compromise with them on this issue, and yet they keep trying to. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's it's one thing that I find, you know, particularly. I I know that like you shouldn't try to reason with right wing logic because it's not supposed to make sense. It is all about domination and control, but like, it just bothers me so fucking much that like, they have to jump the fence to be libertarians to be on any side of the abortion struggle, and even then, you've got ghouls like Rand Paul who are like 
we'll say they're libertarian up until then. You know what I mean? Oh You've yeah. Got... I mean, the idea that he's a libertarian, I think that's that... <laughs> anyone who still believes that they're on their mind. There's, the, there's that. And then if this is like, again, like Americans, particularly, you know, particularly the right wing, they, they often like, you know, decry authoritarian societies they decry overreach they decry any you know decision being made for them when it's especially in situations where that's not the case you know we've seen people enjoy a lot of the standard consumer convenience especially like you know during a time where there needed to be some action taken on you know pandemic restrictions and people you know refuse to even abide by those but these same people um feel comfortable you know calling the shots on one of the most i mean medically critical events in a person's life you know what i mean and it's not even just the birth stuff i mean you know even things like birth control you know are prescribed to people for reasons outside of contraceptive use yeah there's a whole suite of uh medical issues that are just going to like barbarically be like swept under the rug because of this stuff. And no one wants to bat an eye um, because there's just this, this desire to like control someone else's decision because you have been told they are repugnant or that uh, what they're going to do is repugnant. And I, what I find especially telling about that pro-life logic, you know, is that the life of a child is sacred, blah, 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 blah. How do you justify all the deaths this country has caused of children in in our imperial you know just 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 projects of shit iraq afghanistan latin america i mean dear god this this country is great at killing kids in that respect and you these people don't bat a fucking eye well i mean a lot of them i mean their religion is conflated with frankly white nationalism like, mm-hmm. why should they care about those kids? Um, and no one wants to talk about that to. aspect of the pro-life movement is that exactly. this, is, this is stemming from the whole great replacement, uh, declining worth rate, white birth rates, anxiety that they have. It, it, and it all focuses on like more so like that while well, they oppose like universal child care and all that stuff, which, yeah, that's an own um, completely separate one. But like just like just paint them as racist. I mean, you don't have to paint them. Just acknowledge that, like, yeah, like mm-hmm. these people are kind of fucked up. It's it's like there's no need I, in my book. You know, I, I I don't think you should go out picking fights, but there's no need to like engage some of these ideas in good faith, especially ones that like if you know a set of ideas is like damaging to people, as we're finding out that you know, the pro-life movement wants to take freedoms away from people, wants to actually, you know, what that, that will say the, 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 you know, what Bork would say out loud that the other people wouldn't say that, you know, if it's up to the life of, of, you know, the child or the life of the mother, kill the mother. I don't care. This, this baby deserves yeah. everything. But, you know, when it comes to supporting uh, raising children and isn't that isn't isn't that like a quick aside isn't that kind of wild too that you know the baby deserves you know to live without the mother 
yet if a gay couple wants to raise a baby, the fact that it doesn't have a mother is just can't comprehend it. And, and like I, I was talking about this with the guys from uh, Mind Games, you know, last episode is you know America hates fucking kids, and you know what? <laughs> I'm still I still stand by that. The pro life movement, I, I actually yeah, I'll put the two together. The pro life movement fucking hates kids. <laughs> yeah, you can. You, I think you know you can maybe like you know I think that that well, as being quite and, nationalist maybe... applies, but. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe this is like somewhat unrelated, but like I always remember like where like you know because one of the arguments that usually comes up, you know, in this debate is like, well, what about like you know if the child's born with like this horrible medical condition or whatever, and they're like, oh no, they should totally be fine. And I or they I accuse you remember, of being a eugenicist. Yeah, but I always remember like when these like pro life people they're like, oh well, I gave birth to this you know child who has any every issue on the book. And they just bring them around as a prop to their rallies. Exactly. They don't care. This, this is my prop to show that, like, I'm, you know, this righteous mother or parent or whatever. They don't care. Like, I mean, like, I'm sure that that's like, I mean, I'm sure life in general is probably pretty uncomfortable for that kid. But, like, I imagine that explicitly is probably super uncomfortable. Well, and, and that's what that's what this goes to, right? Is that, you know, to these people, uh, people with disabilities are props. They're, they are they are once again like um like we were talking about with you know victims of sexual assault in in political discussions it's the same process with these people is you know for their for their precious anti-abortion shtick um anyone with a disability anyone who had some kind of traumatic event during their birth or like um you know had to make those difficult decisions about about childbirth you know all of those people and their trauma is just a football for them. Yeah. So I guess, you know, let's, let's, let's try to maybe tie this together and conclude in something meaningful. Maybe. Um, how, how do we contextualize, you know, our power in this system? Because it, my immediate gut reaction after this pass was like, wow, we are fucking powerless. If you have something yeah. like the Supreme Court, just unilaterally pull something out their ass like that. Yeah, and I mean, as I said, like, you know, it's not that I, 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 you know, I'm not trying to like suppress like the vote or like that I desire to vote. And I mean, I think that this issue electorally, I mean, I guess it makes, you know, maybe people actually pay attention to uh, state politics and stuff like right. that. Because that's going to be where this is largely settled. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Republicans attempt a nationwide ban. We'll see. Um, I mean, you know, the last thing you want to see is like that you have to like, you know, organize like this underground railroad of abortion doctors or something like that. To, you know, which we're that. going I mean, back like, to the old days, basically. Right. Yeah. And what, and, you know, I kind of want to push back on that a little bit too, because <laughs> You know, I've seen a lot of people say, like, you know, when everyone's like, oh, this is like Sharia law, they're like, oh, no, you're actually allowed to get an abortion under Sharia law. Or they're like, oh, this is like the Dark Ages. Like, actually, you could get a safe abortion in the Dark Ages. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, man, like, that's how regressive we are. We're going, like, <laughs> we want to take things to an all new low. Right. And I mean, I don't know. I think, like, this is a good time, I think, to analyze 
how to understand power in the system. And this is a good time to maybe contextualize, like, you know, do we put all our ducks in a row when it comes to electoralism? What can be meaningfully accomplished at the state level? Like where we live, you know, there is a um, ballot initiative to get reproductive rights on the ballot in November. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I, I hate talking about electoral politics and yet, you know, I, I was compelled to sign and I, I encourage everyone, you know, find out about these initiatives in your state. And like, if you can commit to signing something and, you know, voting for it, that's the one time voting, you know, it is meaningful as opposed to like, you know, dropping your hopes and dreams behind whoever they run for president, you know? Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, it's, you know, attempt to engage with electoral politics to what extent you can. But yeah, I mean, you're going to have, we're going to have to, you know, go, do a little bit of off-roading on this, I think. And maybe other issues too, that there's going to be, you know, things that you have to engage with and you can't necessarily count on, you know, political leaders for. Um, you know, we've seen these protests and like, they're not exactly getting mainstream democratic support. They've, in some cases, have been condemned. Um Right. Chuck Schumer is surprisingly the only one who said that, like, yeah, like this is good that people are protesting outside people's homes, God. which was wild to me that of all people, Chuck Schumer would be the one who uh which also like this keeps coming up, by the way, is like every time there is a protest, like people always talk about do nonviolent protests, do nonviolent protests. But then when it does happen, some asshole always comes out and says, Not like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, oh, even, you like, can't block the street. Really you can't do it outside someone's house. What the what the fuck are yeah. people supposed to do? Well, How else do they say it? I mean, this same court ruled uh, that uh, it was okay for people, like, that um, they overturned a law that had, like, barriers um, to, like, prevent people from harassing people going to abortion clinics. And they said that you can't do that. You're impeding their free speech. So, again, it's, like, very clear who has access to this right of free speech and who doesn't exactly exactly and i mean that's you know if there is any actionable advice from this episode um you know as as frustrated as we are you know it's it is to reject the culture war narrative it is to reject um worshiping our our civil civic religion because the culture war is only going to it will it will end in blood one way or another and for everyone baying for a new civil war like that is not like i'm not saying like oh let's all like you know hold hands and kumbaya i know that's not that's not easy but what i am saying is like you know there is there is real pain that needs to be addressed in this fucking country and everyone wants to you know own the other side of the culture war more than they want to uh, lift win. someone up exactly actually win or help someone out of their suffering you could do yeah. either one meaningfully pick, pick just pick pick your favorite one if anything <laughs> um but I, again you know i apologize for how you know the state of this show rest assured it is leaps and bounds above the state of our country <laughs> <laughs> and it's free unlike this country <laughs> Uh, <laughs> got in on a positive note there yeah um i think that's the best note watch the show for free one of the few things you could get away from this country 
Oh my god. Oh my fucking god. Okay. For a show that's better than this one, uh, Josh is the co-host of Monster Pop, a pro wrestling podcast. I will share all the links in the description below. Anything else you'd like to plug today, Josh? Uh, yeah, that's kind of it for today. Um, next episode's gonna be a little racy, I think. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. This is sometimes we're like there's weird crossover things like we didn't talk about this particular issue but uh i did make some jokes about certain people in their uh right-wing politics and that should be a good listen for anyone interested i will share those links in the description below as long as well as some couple oh my god i'm stuttering through this one no cuts fuck it i will um include some links to places you can show some support uh, especially for people who will be directly affected by uh, these these stupid acts going on in the Supreme Court. Um, till then, look the what show you've was, done to him, Scotus. Look what you've done. You do, you've you've taken this fail podcaster and made him even more fail, <laughs> Mister Mister Joe Brandon. You've done this. <laughs> this is Greenhouse Gaslighting. I'm your host, Adi. Till then. Signing off. Take care, folks. Bye-bye.